Hello and welcome to the Stock Podcast. I'm Nate Abercrombie, the host of the only investing podcast that gives everyone the chance to hear public company CEOs and CFOs describe their business and provide the investment case for their company. In this episode, the Stock Podcast is really excited to bring you an interview with Tom O'Flynn, Chief Financial Officer of AES Corporation. AES is a global power company that owns and operates generation and distribution assets. AES currently owns and operates around 35 gigawatts of generation capacity. And if you think you've had enough power company interviews on the IWTB podcast, well, don't stop this episode because this one's super interesting. AES is kind of like an IPP. It's kind of like an, a utility. It's kind of like a yield co in the sense that AES provides power. They own utilities and the company owns generation in deregulated power markets. But I think Tom says it best. Tom describes the company as an infrastructure company, and it makes a ton of sense. AES owns and operates a pretty diverse portfolio of assets, including LNG regasification terminals, power generation facilities, and distribution lines. It's a really interesting company, and it's a really fascinating conversation but before we get to the conversation with Tom, let's just go over the financials real quick. AES has a market cap, at least at the time of this recording, of $9.8 billion. Cash equivalents and short-term investments amount to about $2.4 billion. So we're talking about 24% of the company's market cap in cash on the balance sheet. Total debt of $19.6 billion and a total EV or enterprise value of $28.8 billion. AES pays a dividend that results in a yield of 3.5%, and the free cash flow yield for the business is around 7 or 8%. FactSet includes rankings from nine analysts, five are buy rated. So, with all that said, let's get to the interview with Tom O'Flynn, CFO of AES Corporation. Tom, thank you so very much for coming on to the IWTB podcast. It's going to be a pleasure talking to you and learning more about AES. Great, Nate. Happy to, uh, to join. Well, it's great to have you. I start out all these interviews with just the, the background of the person who's being interviewed. So if you wouldn't mind, I'd really like to hear your background and how you eventually became CFO of AES Corporation. Sure. I, I guess uh, the elevator speech is uh, I've been in the in the energy uh, power business for a little over 30 years. Uh, I started uh, 15 years as an investment banker in New York City, uh, one of the major firms working with um, utilities, IPPs, some um, some midstream companies. And then I was CFO of a, a PSEG from uh, 2001 to 2009. Downshifted a little bit, uh, worked with Blackstone as a senior advisor in their uh, private equity group uh, from, I guess, 9 to 11, and then uh, joined here in the fall of 2012 at CFO. It was an exciting time to join. Our CEO, Andres Gluski, had just stepped into his chair in the fall of 2011. He was making a lot of changes to the company, so it was an exciting time to join him a year later. And so it's uh, now been about six years. Yeah. And so, as I understand it, 2011 was kind of a a, um, a transition year for AES, and I, I'd love to hear more about that. But before we get into that, just a brief history, if you could provide one for AES, would be really helpful. Sure. So AES was founded in 1981. We were really a leader among IPPs. 
benefiting from the deregulation and privatization of of the U.S. industry, and then we took those uh, those lessons uh, and core competencies and went overseas. I think we have a unique business model. Uh, we focus on non-recourse financing, long-term contracts, clearly important things today. Historically, we were willing to go into a broad number of markets around the world. I think the pivot that Andres made in the fall of 11 was really to, to make a, a more critical assessment of various markets, evaluate where we had a competitive advantage, where we thought we had been treated uh, fairly in the past, and try to um, focus ourselves in more markets. We've been on that, on that path uh, for a number of years. Essentially put, uh, put more chips on fewer spots. And, and what was it, 2011, that um, when the CEO change and eventually the CFO change occurred, that um, you know, as I understand it, you know, AES had a very altruistic sort of goal of going into developing nations and providing people that didn't have electricity previously with electricity. And I, I guess from a um, more of a returns perspective, there was some pushback from shareholders, but the company really tried hard to just provide services and a commodity to, to people that previously didn't have it. Is that correct? That's fair. And the company was founded by a couple of very admirable people. And there's uh, a lot of people that, that worked on globalizing electricity and bringing power to, to people in many markets and, and many, many markets were, uh, where people had not had power before. So that was all very admirable. I think the thing that we, we've tried to do since then is to look at uh, our shareholder base and think about where, uh, where, where we can accomplish many of those objectives, but also with the lens of allocation of capital to places that make sense for our, for our shareholders and other stakeholders. Over the last six years, we have exited some more challenging markets. Uh, we have exited the African markets. We were in three countries at the time. Uh, we have exited some other places, Turkey, Ukraine, some other markets that um, were challenging at the time have obviously become more challenging since then. So we still have um, many dedicated people who are still very focused on the mission of bringing safe, reliable, affordable electricity to our markets. That said, we want, as I said, we want to focus on fewer markets, places that make sense for us and also make sense uh, to our shareholders and stakeholders. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize you were in Turkey and yeah, it's a good thing you're not in there now with <laughs> the inflation. Yeah. I think Turkey was one of the first ones. Let me see. I joined in the fall of um, 12 and I think we announced our sale of Turkey uh, three or four months later. Oh, wow. so we were, we, and we've been fortunate. I, we, we pride ourselves of um, having good, uh, thoughtful boots on the ground. Many of our businesses have separate advisory boards. Sometimes they're actual board of directors for our public companies. Sometimes they're less structured, but very, um, very well plugged in and uh, outspoken advisory boards. So in those places, we would uh, use those people to try to, think ahead and let's say Turkey and Ukraine are a couple of places where we thought ahead and we're able to get out at reasonable prices before things got more challenging. 
So could you describe the AES asset portfolio today and, and just which countries you're in and you know, just the proportion of earnings from either, you know, the different segments that you'd like to talk about or on a geographic basis? Sure. So big picture, our assets under management are about $33 billion. Revenue is about $11 billion. We've got about 32 gigawatts of generation and uh, six electric utilities. From a standpoint of percentage contribution, uh, the U.S. and our utilities is about 30%. Uh, South America is about 30%. What we call MCAC or Mexico, Central America, and Caribbean is about 20%. These are big picture round numbers. And Eurasia is about 20%. Over time, the Eurasia business has um, has become smaller, but the uh, we continue to see good growth opportunities and we're making meaningful investments in the U.S. and throughout the Americas, South America and our MCAC region. And um, th- how many countries, how many different countries do you operate in? Uh, 15 at this time. And five, six years ago, we were about 30. So we come in, in half in our top... Uh, 90% is now about eight countries. So we're much more focused. As I said, um, more chips on fewer squares. Yeah. And is that because those call it commercial environments are just much more attractive from AES's perspective? And do you just see yourself focusing on those, those, those countries going forward? I think it's a question of those countries being attractive. So we think that there's good economic, political and structural stability. Our markets outside the U.S. are have a high um, or top line megawatt hour usage growth of about three to five percent, which would compare to the U.S. It's about flat. We also feel that we've got a uh, competitive advantage or leg up in those markets to try to keep one step ahead of our competition. Yeah, and why is electric? electric demand growing in those regions? Is it just because efficiency hasn't, hasn't, you know, the, the, some of the, the just devices that we use here in the United States or we're increasingly using and seeing in new build construction are more efficient or is it just because there's higher population growth? What, what are the dynamics there? I, I think it's a little bit of uh, all of those. Uh, in some countries we do have some good Top line economic growth, maybe Panama would jump out the most. Uh, the, the Panama market's growing very well. Uh, the new canal's been operating now a little over a year. So that economy as a whole is growing very strongly. But also just the usage per consumer, the megawatt hours or gigawatt hours used for each consumer would be growing just as um, wallet grows, uh, as those economies and individual um, consumption patterns modernize, that certainly contributes to to growth. That would compare to the U.S. that's already got quite high consumption. In fact, the U.S., we're seeing energy conservation and some other things bring consumption down per consumer in many cases. Yeah. Yeah. And what kind of, what what sorts of generation assets do you focus on? Is it all of the above? Is it nuclear? Is it natural gas, renewables? Could you just describe the asset mix? Sure. Historically, we were quite focused on large fossil fuels, so coal, gas, and hydro. We've had certainly our share of 
of solar and uh, wind. But going forward, we expect renewables, which is really solar and wind and battery storage to be probably 80% of our investment capital going forward. Uh, that said, we still believe that there'll be efficient gas uh, will be an important part of the energy mix, especially when you think um, there needs to be 24 seven power available and we see natural gas to be taking that role. So we do have two large construction projects going on, one in California, a little over $2 billion project for new gas, new quick start gas, a little bit south of uh, Los Angeles. And then we also have a large project that we just commissioned that we're very excited about in Panama. It's a combination of gas and importing liquefied natural, natural gas to Panama. Yeah, that's one of the things that I think is really interesting about your business. And when people think about here in the United States, when people think about natural gas demand or LNG demand internationally, you have a company that is part of that equation in the sense that you are involved in, well, I'd be very curious to hear just how, how, how the development process works and whether or not you take a stake in regasification terminals, but you, you, you participate in, at the very least, as an offtaker when these regasification terminals are built in places like Latin America. And yeah, I would just like, I would really like to hear just, you know, your involvement in those terminals. Sure. And I'd say one thing that might differ us from some other players is that we really try to start at the market, uh, looking at markets that we've been in and try to think what makes sense for the market going forward. What's the most efficient, uh, cost-effective, reliable, safe type of generation that can come into that market. So in some cases it may be gas, in some cases it may be wind, it may be solar, it may be battery storage, or maybe pieces of all of the above. I would say that we're not doing any new coal. We are completing a coal plant in India in the next couple of months. But we said uh, about two years ago that we did not expect to do any new coal. If you'd like to continue listening to this interview, you'll need to become a member. To become a member, Visit the website at thestockpodcast.com. Members have access to all full-length episodes. So go to the website, thestockpodcast.com, and click membership at the top. And with that, take care and good luck with your portfolio.